Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Thanking you so much for joining the broadcast today. Uh, this is actually part two of the battle of humility, right? This is a big battle that we all face, and some people don't realize it's a battle. That's because they haven't quite figured out why humility is a problem. And I want you to know the Bible is very clear that when sin entered the world through one man, death came through sin. And this is the way that death has come to all men because all have sinned. Now, one of the ways that we know there's a problem with humility in humanity is because we see a lot of disunity. We don't see people coming together. Listen, I tell the guys at the Indian Creek Correctional Center, if you guys are listening, hello, guys. I appreciate you tuning in on the broadcast. And uh, I tell them often. If you remain humble, you will never, ever stumble. So today we're talking about what is humility, and then we're talking about why should I want it, and then we're going to talk about how we should get it, okay? So humility is this character trait that is filled with gentleness and meekness. It's without arrogance in any part. Uh, it's not the concealment of pride. It is the elimination of pride. And I want you to know that it starts with God. Proverbs 22, verse number four says, humility is the fear of God or the reverence of God. Its wages are riches and honor and life. So it starts with God. And secondly, we've got to understand that it involves surrendering everything to him. John the baptizer said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You see, pride was that bait that Satan used to tempt Eve. So when I am filled with arrogance and I'm asserting that I know better than God when it comes to what is best for me, I am really moving in pride. And I think pride kind of takes on three forms. And I'm calling this kind of three battles that every single one of us face. And you're going to face this all of your life. And uh, as I was talking to this uh, about the guys there at Indian Creek, and uh, one of the volunteers had just finished singing a song, Victory is Mine. And uh, I'm not going to sing that over the air because uh, uh, my singing voice is terrible. And you'd be turning that dial real fast if I started to sing. And I don't blame you. I'd be turning it too, okay? Uh, but victory is ours, okay? So we're not fighting from defeat to defeat. We're fighting from victory to victory. But in order to have victory, we do have to have the fight, okay? And so here's three things that you will always fight in your life. Now, you don't have to lose in these three areas. You can win in these three areas, but you got to be vigilant, right? Because that enemy, uh, that devil, old Slewfoot, uh, he seeks us, us like a roaring, a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Here's the first thing. Number one battle, the lust of the flesh. And I would say in America, it would be that we battle the God of comfort, right? We'd love to be comfortable. I don't want it too hot. I don't want it too cold. I don't want traffic to be heavy. Uh, I don't want to wait too long in the fast food line at McDonald's uh, or Chick-fil-A, whatever your favorite fast food restaurant is. And uh, I want things to be comfortable. And I want what I want when I want it. That is really the lust of the flesh. We are feeding our bodies something that our bodies are craving. And sometimes it's an emotional craving, but it's the lust of the flesh. And, and maybe a way to, to really understand it is to look at uh, what we have assumed for many years regarding sea creatures, right? For years, it was assumed that sea creatures ate disposed of plastic by accident. And now we know the real reason they eat is that this is literally their junk food. They eat plastic 
And now sometimes it happens accidentally. I'm, I'm not discounting that totally, but really the reason they eat plastic is because they like it. The same reason I eat junk food, right? Uh, because it tastes good. Man, I love Dunkin' Donuts, right? And uh, get me a big old cup of coffee and uh, get me a donut. I, I like that donut. It has a chocolate frosting in on top of it and a white cream in the middle. And, you know, now those things, everything in, in moderation, that's not too much of a problem. But if that is your diet constantly, that you're just drinking coffee and, and eating Dunkin' Donuts all the time, uh, you're going to discover that you're going to get really fat. You're going to be lethargic. And that energy that you get, that instant burst of energy, it goes away real fast. Well, according to marine science, this doctor, Austin Allen, says plastics for these sea creatures may be inherently tasty, and that smaller ocean animals, such as coral and plankton, they react to them as if they were actual food. Now, this is in contrast to reactions to, to more obvious and less edible waste like sand. According to the New Haven Register, if the sand came near their mouths, these sea creatures would use their tiny little hairs covering their bodies to brush themselves clean. But the delicious plastic is a different matter. The corals scoop the plastic toward their mouths with their little tentacles, and they gobbled up the trash. Of course, the plankton and the coral, they don't have eyes, leaving them with just their tongues to help them figure out whether or not something is edible. When an animal tastes something, that's when they decide whether or not to eat it. According to the researchers, as a result, plastics in the ocean go beyond merely littering a beautiful landscape. They hurt those who unknowingly consume it. Now, the same is true of the lust of the flesh. When I talk to people, I says, well, think about all the blessings you have in your life and think about all the setbacks in your life. And in all my years of working with the men at Indian Creek Correctional Center, I haven't met one of them who said to me, you know, chaplain, when I was a kid, I had a lifelong dream to be an inmate. No, they would tell me when I was growing up, man, I wanted to be a fireman. I wanted to be, someone said I wanted to be a, a pastor. I wanted to, to, to be in the military or I wanted to be a teacher. And I had all these different career paths. I wanted to be musicians and and uh, some of them want to be athletes, and they had all these great uh, ambitions, but something happened. They gave in to the lust of the flesh, and as a result, they found they were hurt with time. Not only did they hurt themselves, but they hurt people that they loved because they separated from them. Giving in to the lust of the flesh. You know, you don't have to give in to the lust of the flesh, and I'm going to tell you in just a minute how you can overcome that, but there's a second battle that we fight, and that is the lust of the eyes. Now, Malcolm Mutteridge was one of these guys who was a British journalist. And when he was coming along, he was a quarrelsome guy. You ever meet those kind of people? Uh, well, he was known for his heavy drinking and his smoking and womanizing. And, uh, and he exposed a, a very agnostic worldview. But toward the end of his life, he came to faith in Christ. But as a younger man, he wrote a letter to his father and he described an incident that revealed the sinful bent of his heart and the power of the lust of the eyes. Just after graduating from Cambridge, Mutteridge moved to India. And he moved to India because he was going to be a school teacher and he was going to teach English. One day as he was strolling by a nearby river in the early evening, he spotted a silhouette of a woman bathing on the other side, obviously with no clothes on. 
Well, he later wrote that his heart began to race when he called the wild unreasonableness which he called passion. Overcome by what he saw, he plunged right into that water and started crossing the river. As he approached a woman, he suddenly realized that she was toothless, wrinkled, and a deformed old leper. He quickly threw himself back into the river and started swimming to the other side in the other direction. You see, the lust of the eyes, it never delivers what you think it's going to deliver. You know, that's why pornography is such a terrible thing. If you're listening to this broadcast or this podcast and you have a battle on your hands that you feel like you're losing when it comes to the lust of the eyes, maybe I'm talking to a man right now and it's causing his marriage to fall apart. It's causing his relationships to fall apart. And if he's honest, he is hooked on images. He's hooked on pornography. Listen, we have a a wonderful ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery will help you to overcome that debilitating lust of the eyes. And then the first step is you got to recognize it as a problem. You got to realize that, hey, you know, I I have a problem here. Now, that's the hardest step uh, because most of us want to put on a good front uh, that we're okay. And, and, you know, one of the ways that you know you battle with pride, I think there's kind of three tests that you can give yourself to know whether or not you are battling with pride. Let me give those to you real quick, okay? Uh, Number one, how do you handle somebody who compliments you or somebody who gives thanks to you? I was uh, at a conference one time, and, and I was standing next to the pastor who was, who was speaking at the conference, and uh, as I'm standing next to this guy, uh, people coming by, shaking his hands, and, and just saying, hey, great message, I really love that, you really encouraged me, and, and I, I'll never forget, somebody shook his hand and says, man, I really enjoyed your message, that was a powerful message. Now, what kind of knocked me off my feet almost was the response of this pastor. It's kind of disappointing. This is what he said. He said, well, I know it was a great message. Lots of people have been telling me that today. And I'm like, whoa. You know, I, I wanted to step away from him because I was afraid lightning was going to strike. But, you know, he did not know how to handle compliments. It went right to his head. He thought everyone thought that he was a cat's meow. Pride was creeping in. You know, I, don't, I often wonder what happened to that guy. And uh, I kind of have lost touch with him. And uh, I wasn't really a friend of him. I just kind of knew him because he spoke at different conferences. And I I noticed I haven't seen this guy around too much. And so I don't know what happened to him, right? Uh, So how do you handle thank yous and compliments? Uh, The second thing is, how do you handle criticism? If you're one of these people that uh, when you're criticized, you just fall apart. So how can anybody be so mean to me and criticize me? And and I know we're living in a culture, you don't want to criticize anybody, right? Uh, but sometimes we need somebody to, to get right into our face and say with as much love as they know how to say that you're heading in the wrong direction. You need to make some changes. How do you handle criticism? If it derails you, it's because you're filled with pride. Well, there's one other area that I think you can kind of look at when it comes to this matter of pride. Not only do, how do I handle those who compliment me, those who give thanks for me or, or express gratitude to me, not only those who criticize me, but how do I handle the people in my life that I don't need. I mean, the people that can't help me. You know, the guy on the side of the road that you give him a little money, uh, he can't help you, right? Uh, You're in a position of authority over him, really more powerful than him because you have enough resources that you don't have to be on the side of the road asking people to give you some money. How do you handle that person? How do you handle the person that comes to you 
and they ask you to do something, a favor, and uh, and you know they can never return that favor, and nobody's going to even care that you've helped that person. Nobody's going to even know if you don't help that person. How you treat the person in your life that you don't need reveals your character, reveals the fact that you are battling pride or you are victorious over pride. So the big picture is there are three battles in our lives, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then there's one more. This is a battle that you never can get over, the pride of life. Listen, the pride of life can be defined as anything that is of the world, meaning anything that leads to arrogance or ostentatiousness or pride or self-presumption or boasting. John makes it clear that anything, anything that produces the pride of life comes from a love of the world. This is how he puts it in 1 John 2.15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, I go back to the temptation of the original pride of life temptation. In the Garden of Eden, Eve is tempted, and she's tempted by the serpent to disobey God and to eat the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we see that the enemy tapped into all three of these areas. Eve perceived that the fruit was good for food. That is the lust of the flesh. And she says, man, this is going to taste good, right? And then she saw, secondly, that it was pleasing to the eyes. Now, that's the lust of the eye. She saw it, and I'm sure that Satan probably had that apple or whatever it was. He had it shined up, right? And uh, had it looking good. And uh, it looked good. And so she says, man, I'd like to have that because it looks good and it's good for food. And, and then the third test, the pride of life, it says that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. She coveted the fruit in three ways. First, it was appealing to her appetite. Uh, this John refers to as the lust of the flesh that desire for that which satisfies the physical needs. The fruit was also pleasing or delightful to the eye. Uh, That which is what we see and what we desire and what we want to possess is the lust of the eyes. And and finally, Eve somehow perceived that the fruit would make her wise, giving her wisdom beyond her own. You see, part of Satan's lie was that eating of the fruit would make her like God, knowing good and evil. You see, John replied to his disciples, and he says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. If anyone could have easily fallen into the trap of pride, it would have been John the Baptist. You know, who else in human history, apart from Jesus himself, could claim to have been filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb? No one else in human history had the important role of being the forerunner of the Messiah. John enjoyed immediate popular success as all of Jerusalem and Judea and those from the surrounding areas were going out into the wilderness to confess their sins and to be baptized. We have that account in Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And even Jesus testified of John that he was the greatest man in human history. All of these things could have fed the pride of this young prophet barely in his 30s but he didn't let it go to his head. And he constantly reminded himself, and he constantly wants to remind us, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven or from the Lord. Well, we've talked so far about what is humility. It starts with God. 
We talked about why we should be humble. And as we think about why we should be humble, because it gives us the ability to overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's talk number three on this subject of why should I be humble? Well, number one, it's the only way to eternal life. John 6, 65 says, no one can come to me, that's Jesus speaking, unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now, this is humbling that we only have one way to get to the Father through being drawn and granted. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 28, this is an Old Testament passage. Samuel says, you save the humble, but the eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. So God saves those who are of a humble spirit, a broken and a contrite spirit. I will not despise, says the Lord. Uh, The only way that we're going to have eternal life is humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. You know, Jesus wanted to give us a a living example of what this looks like. And so in Matthew chapter 18, uh, disciples are gathering around Jesus and and they ask this question. They said, well, then um, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I want to put a little pause right there and kind of put my two cents in there thinking about what they think. I think the disciples at that point were kind of asking a question with the assumption that Jesus is going to say, oh, by all means, you guys, you're the apostles, right? And it's kind of like me saying at the end of my sermon, uh, as we get ready to leave here, now make sure that you tell uh, the pastor who gave you the best sermon today that you really appreciate that great sermon. Who gave the greatest sermon today? Well, there's only one person who gave a sermon probably in your church, and, and so that's a, a kind of a side way to get affirmation, but that's really filled with pride, isn't it? So the disciples are saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And they're thinking, Jesus is going to say, well, you guys obviously are. You guys have given up everything to follow me. Uh, you stopped fishing to follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You gave up your tax business uh, to follow me. Obviously, you guys are going to be great, but Jesus didn't say that. He calls a child to them, and he places the child among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to be the greatest in heaven, you're going to probably not make it to heaven. You know, one thing I love about kids, right? Uh, Especially young kids, right? Uh, They don't strive to be great. They're just living their lives, right? They have to learn how to become filled with pride. You know, it's like any kind of sin, I guess. uh, The older you get, the more you battle with it. And uh, and I think about children, and they're not perfect, right? But they're innocent for the most part. Uh, They're born in sin. They have a sinful nature. That sinful nature hasn't been developed. And so uh, they've got to learn some things about sin. For example, I don't think anybody is truly born a racist. I think you learn to become a racist. I don't think anyone is truly born filled with pride. Uh, we learn to be filled with pride. So, so Jesus says you got to be like one of these little children, and he places a child among them and says you must change and become like little children or you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, people were wondering about John the Baptist at this time. John the Baptist emphatically denies that he's Christ. John one twenty says, I am not the Christ. Now, he reminds his disciples of what he has repeatedly said. He says it again in John 3, 28. He says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. You may think, well, uh, there's not much danger that I'm going to be starting to be like John the Baptist. 
Uh, I, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, but as I've often said, one of the most basic lessons that we all have to learn and learn it again and again is that God is God and, and I am not. When things go the way I'd prefer, I have to learn to bow and acknowledge that God, you're God, and I'm not. You see, salvation is given, it's never earned. And that in and of itself should keep us very humble. That we didn't earn our salvation, it was given to us. You know, I saw an ad not too long ago for the United States Marines. And I had a picture of a Marine with a sword and beneath it are the words, earned, never given. Now, if you want to become a Marine, be prepared and earn that name through sacrifice and hardship and training. And if you get it, you deserve it. I'm not taking anything away from you. But if you want to become a Christian, you must have the exact opposite attitude. Now, the message of the gospel is given, never earned. You cannot save your own soul. And God will not save anyone who tries to earn his salvation, but only those who will humbly receive it as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. If you get it, you absolutely do not deserve it. And you understand that. You see, we ought to be humble because it's the only way to eternal life. We ought to be humble because it's also the only way to your best life. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, 8 that we're to be sober-minded. Another word for that would be to be humble. Be sober-minded, be humble, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, that old devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I found something about Satan. Now, I'm not a student of Satan. I'm a student of Christ, and I'm a follower of Christ, but I know that Satan loves a challenge. He knows how he corrupted human nature the first time. You see, pride is a form of selfishness. Humility is a form of selflessness. Now, most people would label selfishness as a negative trait. As a matter of fact, they've done surveys of the American people, and uh, Dr. Stephen Diamond, uh, who writes for uh, Psychology Today, said this, most are taught from childhood that selfishness is sinful, bad, or evil. So parents reflexively encourage generous sharing, not selfish hoarding. If a friend says to you, you're selfish, you are unlikely to thank him for that compliment. But we're also very quick to pen that term selfishness, that label, on others, but not so much on ourselves. Pew Research did a poll, and they discovered that 68% of Americans say that that term selfishness, or selfish, applies to the typical American. Another survey with uh, younger adults found that 71% of the adults believe that millennials, uh, young people, are very selfish. In fact, Millennials themselves said that uh, we are very selfish, and, uh, and so it, it's okay to be selfish according to what they say, right? But as we look at deeper into this survey, they discover that most people believe our culture is very selfish. An overwhelming majority thinks that our culture is very selfish. However, New York Times Magazine reported only 17% say that they personally are overly concerned about themselves and their own selfishness. In fact, 60% think that most people are overly concerned about themselves, but only 17% personally think they've got a problem with selfishness. So this is one of those things kind of like pride, right? And we see it in somebody else, but we don't usually see it in ourselves. 
like bad breath. Uh, the only one that doesn't know they have bad breath is the one that has it. Everybody else around him knows he has it. Oh, I want you to know, your best life will come if you live a life of humility. And again, it's not this meat, Casper, milk toast type of personality. It's this lowering of yourself. You see, ultimately, pride is a form of idolatry. So join me tomorrow, and uh, we're going to look further into this subject of humility, and we're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar and see what pride did to him and how pride took him down. Uh, so I hope that you join us tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. So we'd love to have you join us on the podcast and hope that will be a blessing to you. And if we can do anything to help you, you can shoot me an email if you like. And uh, the email for this broadcast is onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Spell out the word one, O-N-E, all lowercase, no spaces, onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Or you can give me a call, 757-421-7500, 757-421-7500. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.